So let's break down the last six years, man. You have over 100 million of multifamily real estate, 1,100 apartments, self-storage facilities. You have 10,000 square foot of commercial, invested 20 million of outside capital. Is that about par for the course or has that increased since you up? Yeah, it's the gone up since last? then. That was probably a little, bit, a little over a year ago, but yeah, pretty close. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. David Tupin. What's up, Playboy? What's going on, man? It's good to see you two days in a row. Dude, back to back. We did a little hot girl walk across Austin, Texas. A little hot girl yes, walk. Yes, we did. A little bit of a walk. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Dude. You never know who you're going to run into, man. So that's one of the reasons why I moved to Austin. We talk about proximity being power. And in Atlanta, I used to think that living in one of your rental properties, which I know you did, and we'll get into it later in this episode, I was 40 minutes out of the city. But now I moved from there to Austin. And then you just are walking. And then I run into you and Zach. I'm like, dude, let's chop it up. And that's how it works, man. You have to be in the locations. 100%. 100%. It's weird. It's like a it's like a growing city. It's a decent-sized town, but like still a lot of people know each other. It's a pretty tight-knit. It's like a small city feel still, which is kind of could be good or bad depending on the scenario, but yeah, depending on the situation. Yeah. Dude, how old are you? I'm 27. 27. You started at 19, correct? Investing? Yeah, 1920-ish. Yeah. All right, sweet. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read out some stats. I'm going to read out a little bit of the stat sheet for Dave here, and then we're going to get into a breakdown. We'll start a bit more like the philosophical side of wealth, the mindset, and then we're going to dive deep into his investments. I want to start this with, you posted an Instagram story that I thought was funny. You said 18 tax returns, 250 plus K-1s, 4 million distributed to investors in 2022. How the hell does that feel? It's crazy. It's something I didn't expect would happen as quick as it did. And it's something like the reason I posted that is like, I, I didn't really see that side of the business coming at all. When I first started at first, I'm like, dude, let's just go buy some rentals. Let's go buy some investment property. There's this whole back end corporate side of the company that I've been building out now. And I had a bookkeeper just uh, retire on me. So I posted that. Hopefully I can hire a new bookkeeper from that post. I got a couple leads. But yeah, it's crazy, man. It's been it's been a hell of a run the last couple of years. And I still feel like I'm just getting started. So how's the hiring process been? Has it been more difficult for you to build the corporate back end hiring muscle? as opposed to the actual strategy of the real estate investing? Or have you found equal difficulty in both journeys? No, the hardest part in real estate is like finding the deal. The building the team has honestly been been great and not too difficult. I've hired several people. One of the people that worked for me is like one of my closest friends. And then the rest, a couple of people is through like friends of friends or through the network. I've met some great people. I hired my CMO. I knew him like from 15 years ago, we were never that tight, but he was doing really well in the sports marketing world. And then I hired him on as a CMO for my software company. And so it's honestly, it's been a lot just through the network is who I've hired a lot of the greatest people. And I've done the whole like job postings and interviewing 30, 40 people for a job. And then a lot of times it just comes down to like hiring people that I know are fucking rock stars 
at what sure. they do and bringing them in, whether it's poaching them from other organizations or obviously in, in doing it the right way, but or bringing them in from my network, people I already know. Yeah, I love that. I love that you just mentioned that because the rock stars are not going to be on the open job market. Like the rock stars are going to be working for something. They're already employed. And they're already them. making a shit ton of money. Correct. Yeah. So 100%. But before we dive into the nuts and bolts, what have been some strategies that you've found works in attracting rock stars? Because everyone has a different answer and it depends on your stage, the entrepreneurial journey, of course. But what have you done to attract rock stars that are already employed gainfully with somebody else? Yeah, one thing is you got to inspire people. So people want to buy into a vision and people want to work with and work for people that, first of all, they enjoy working for, but also that they see are on a positive trajectory, right? Nobody wants to work sure. for somebody that's stagnant or they're in an outdated business model. People want to work for something exciting, something fun and something they're interested in. So I get a lot of people that may not be real estate investors. Like I have a couple of sales guys that are really interested. They love real estate. They want to invest. So they're working for my real estate software company, but it's related to real estate, right? So they're still learning about real estate. They're in the real estate industry, but they're doing what they're really good at sales. And then they're taking their sales income, spinning it off into investing in my real estate company, which is a separate company. That's just an example, but you've got to inspire people. You got to get people excited. And to really attract the rock stars, you've got to give them some level of freedom. I don't micromanage or babysit any of my employees. All my staff are self-sufficient. I give them guidance. I give them mentorship. I give them the love that they need and the tools that they need. But I hire people that are really good at what they do and don't need me to babysit them. And they go out and produce revenue for the company or support the company in a way where I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about what they're doing. And it's yep. worked great so far. Yeah. I love starting the conversations with this because you're a good example of what I call an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur that dabbles in real estate as opposed to a real estate investor that dabbles in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Because what over and over again is you have these guys that build this portfolio, maybe have maybe syndicate thousands of units, but they just built themselves another effing job. Correct. Like they don't have a business. Their business is running them. They're not running the business. So there's this right. whole framework that I like that you're doing perfectly, which is I do, we do, they do. So I do it by myself. I'm good. I hire a team. We're good together. And then they're really good without me having to be here and I can go to Costa Rica. Right? Yeah, is that kind of your philosophy? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. That's the cool thing. And after about three years in the business, I've been in for about seven years. I really realized like my goal, I, I wanted to be able to work from anywhere in the world on a laptop. And I don't tend to do that all the time. A lot of I love what I do and I work a lot. And so I find myself working a lot more than I do for traveling and the fun stuff. But I do get to yeah. fuck off to wherever I want, whenever I want and go travel and, and the machine keeps running or I could, I could work from out of country or wherever I'm traveling to, which is, yeah, that is a fun part of the business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I call it the Costa Rica challenge. And that came from my buddy Vince Gethings. I don't know if you've met him yet, but he's Pretty a stud. Amazing. Yeah, he's a stud. And he, he went off to Costa Rica when he was doing a couple of syndications and everything started falling apart when he was in Costa Rica with a, for a month with his family. And he was like, okay, something has to change. I have to go back and fix this and build this team out a little bit better where it's not dependent on me. So let's break down the last six years, man. You have over a hundred million of multifamily real estate, 1100 apartments, self-storage facilities. You have 10,000 square foot of commercial, invested 20 million of outside capital, is that about par for the course or has that increased since you updated Yeah, it's the gone up since last? then. I was probably a little, a little over a year ago, but yeah, pretty close. 
So what are you at right now? Bought a little over 1,300 apartments. We've got a couple hundred self-storage units, some commercial flex retail space. And then I think we raised like $25 million in capital total at this point and started a software company, which is the majority Casual. of my team and staff. I started that about two years ago. And that's booming and doing really well. It's been interesting. I always say, and I've always said this, is focus is the number one key to starting and succeeding in business, mm-hmm. other than treating it like a business and not like a hobby. But focus is the key. And so... A lot of people are doing like six things at once. They're like, I'm a crypto investor. I do Forex. Mm. I day trade stocks. I part-time invest in real estate. And I've got another side hustle. I'm like, what are you doing? You're not going to excel at any one of those things. Pick one Mm -hmm. thing. Get really good at it. Get really good at it and roll with it for a couple of years, at least three or four years. Until you're established in that one thing, don't go and start something new. We've all got the shiny penny syndrome, but... It took me five years of doing real estate to where I felt comfortable. Okay, I want to start another business, like an actual full company. And so I started, but now I devote about half my time to each, but I've got the team that allows me to do that, which is great. Now I'm able to focus and grow both of those things, but don't start off doing that. That's not going to work. Yeah, I feel like you have to earn the right to do it. And that's what I'm doing right now with Action Academy. And you and I talked about that yesterday as well, where I'm just like, okay, cool. No more real estate investing. I'm saying no to investments that come across my desk. I'm saying no to all these different projects and everything that keeps popping up. Because if you're good at a bunch of stuff, you're not great at one thing and you're very easily replaceable. Yeah. I love that. That's that's 100% true. I want to go back before we really put our hand in the cookie jar here and start dissecting like the financials and the data of these apartments and the self-storage and the commercial and utilizing outside capital, all this great stuff that's going to make for a fantastic podcast. I want to start first, though, with your eight figures at 27 years old. And that's not normal. It's normal in our world now, which is weird to think about. It's cool to say, right? (laughs) But it's not normal, man. So what do you think is built different about you or your environment or your upbringing to give you the confidence to swing for the fences like you do? Yeah, it's interesting because when I first started, I always say I had this just blind, like dumb confidence where I could do anything. I remember when I was 21, I'd only, I bought like 120 apartments and I tried to assemble some land downtown Detroit to build like a 50 story skyscraper. It would have been like a $250 (laughs) project. And I don't even want to say I failed miserably, but obviously I didn't do it. But what it gave me was the ability to think that I could literally do anything. At 21, mm-hmm. I could assemble seven pieces of land, line up. My problem was I couldn't have, I couldn't really nail down the funding. And I'm glad I didn't because I don't think Detroit needs more skyscrapers at the moment. Okay. But it was just, if I could even attempt to do that, I could literally do anything. But the true mindset that you have to have as a business owner it is long-term thinking. You can't be get rich quick, blow up in three years. Like very few people do this. And if you're not watching this, I'm literally drawing a line that's like almost straight up. A lot of people that do that go back down, right? A lot of people Mm -hmm. right now that bought a shit ton of property in the last two to three years, over leveraged, bought bad deals. They went so fast. They couldn't keep up with the asset management on their projects. They're sending deals back to the bank. And you're not hearing about it, but it's happening left and right right now in early, mid-2023. I My mindset is I would rather go a little slower. I do four to five real estate projects a year that are all home runs. I know I'm going to hit my numbers. I'm pretty conservative, but I'm long-term. If I keep doing that for the next 20 years, I'll be at a billion net worth. 
right? So I don't need to do this and go straight up. I just need to do this for a long enough time. And that compounds. Go from Mm -hmm. zero to eight figures in six years. It's just by consistently doing the same thing. And then how do you go from eight to nine figures? Just doing the same thing for the next five to 10 years. I think people's focus needs to be long-term and have some patience. But then I also think one of the most powerful, maybe this is sidetracking, but I just love giving this advice. One of the most powerful things that I learned early on that I like to tell a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs is the mindset. Dude, I don't celebrate a single minute in my business. I sold my personal home last year and in two years it doubled from like 600,000 to 1.2 million here in Austin. And I sold mm-hmm. it and quadrupled my money. I didn't sell. People were like, oh, you should go out and celebrate. I didn't celebrate for a second. I didn't go on a trip. I didn't travel. I didn't do nothing. I literally went right back to work. Mm-hmm. And what I always tell people is in business, you can't get too high or too low. Because the higher you let your mindset get, the lower the lows will be when things don't go right. So a lot of people, you've probably had this, right? Like something really exciting happens and you get stoked. Yeah. And, oh my God, this is great. And then the next three weeks are stale and nothing happens. And you're like, Damn, like, this is the worst. Like, why is nothing going right? <laughs> All you got to do is keep that mindset steady. Don't get too high. Don't get too low and consistent growth. <laughs> and you're going to be a super, super powerful entrepreneur if you can master that skill set. So can I dig into you a little bit there? Oh, yeah. So I completely get what you're saying. And it's something that I struggle with because I just got done from traveling around the world, around the world. And I was like literally living in Mykonos and everything. So that was a high, right? And it was very high. And afterwards, the low was very low. And people don't think about that. It's like what happens on the opposite end of getting everything you ever wanted, right? Correct. So the same thing applies with you and we can speak with that perspective because we did the thing and then right. people just that, that haven't done the thing, like they don't understand, hey, there's two sides to the coin. And there's a quote that one of my coaches told me previously where he said, if you want 10 years worth of success or 20 years worth of success, you ha- you're going to be faced with 20 years of problems simultaneously. Right. And the faster that you condense that 20 years of success the faster you're also going to experience those problems and you need to integrate those problems. You're not going to just do what you did zero to eight figures in six years. You're going to have, that's like a 20 year journey. You're going to have 20 years worth of problems in six years. Oh yeah. So that's the perspective you're talking about that from man. And I'm curious, was this always the way you operated or is this, did you develop this through necessity? No, dude, it came from the failures. It came from the highs and the lows. Oh my God, I got the best deal under contract ever. I'm going to make this much money. This is going to be great. Business is going to boom. Everything falls through, lose 50 grand earnest money. Oh my God. The last second, the the 13th hour on a Friday. The 13th hour, dude. And oh my gosh. Now, what I've learned from that, never count your paychecks till it's in the bank. Expect the worst, work for the best. And, and I don't get upset when things go wrong. I really don't, dude. My, my mental is so resilient at this point. When things go wrong, I don't get upset and I just keep working through it because I know things are going to go wrong. And when things go great, I don't get excited. It's just normal. Cool. Made five, 600K flipping a deal. Great. Okay. On to the next. That's nothing. I know I can, I know a deal can go wrong tomorrow and I'm going to have to capital, I'm going to have to fund out of my own pocket a hundred grand to cover some extra renovations that I didn't know about because I'm not going to my investors to ask for that money. I'm going to put it in myself. Mm-hmm. So you can't let it get to you. And the steadier you can stay, I'm telling you, it's a superpower that all entrepreneurs need. And most of them don't have or haven't realized it until they've gone through this stuff and really have solidified their business over several years. Do you know, are you familiar with Naval Ravikant? 
I'm not. So he's a big Silicon Valley investor. He founded Angel List and he sold that for a couple hundred million. So yeah, he's a stud. I interviewed his CEO coach, Matt Mashari. So he is the CEO coach for Naval, for uh, Brian Armstrong and Coinbase, Sam Altman wow. for OpenAI. And I asked him the specific question that you and I are talking about right here, where I said, hey, man, I understand that we need to be more even keel through business. Like you just said, it's a superpower. And I agree. But I said, also on the flip side of that, like, I, I want to avoid binary thinking here, but it's like on the flip side of the coin, it's if you don't have any more mountaintop moments, like what's the point anymore? If you, there is nothing that you're yeah. celebrating, what's the point you of You've got to love the process. Like you, you, you got to love, the, love process. the process. That's exactly what I was leading towards, man. That's yeah. exactly where I was about to dive in. As doing and get up excited every day yes. to do it then you're going to hate your life as an entrepreneur because it's way too hard to do it otherwise. It's so difficult that nobody will make it if they can't master this because it's too tough. That, that's the comma at the end of the sentence of be even killed. There's not a period, there's a comma. And then the other end of that sentence is learn to love the process, celebrate the process. Nobody talks about that, man. No. Everyone talks about that, what you just said. And they say, hey, the highs aren't too high. The lows aren't too low. I'm pretty even kill. And that's how shit gets done. Right. It's because you have the Mamba mentality. It's what I call it, where it's you're falling in love shooting free throws. Correct. Yeah. 100%. Okay. I love that. And, okay. and, and the big thing is loving the process is I'm blessed. I get to mm. wake up every day and not have to worry about where I'm going to get my food or what clothes I'm going to put on. I get to drive whatever car I want to drive. I live in a nice area. I've got good friends. I've got a loving, I've got a cool ass dog. It's like my homie. And I, you know, I get to go work out at the gym whenever I want. I get to travel. Yeah. Like I love, like life's good. And that's my celebration is I'm really blessed with what I have. And I'm working for much bigger goals, but I also love everything I've got along the way. Like I'm grateful for everything that has come into my life and everything I've been able to accomplish. And that's what I love about it. I love that. And I think that's the way, that's the way to, to play the game the best way and allow the game to not play you because, but it's, you're also walking on like a razor thin line because if you teeter one direction, then it's like you're suffering the, like the pandemic of more. So that's a lot of entrepreneurs is Correct. a lot of guys come on the show. Maybe they have 10,000 doors, 100,000 doors, and it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. They want to do 100 million. They want to be billionaire. They want to be 10 billionaire. Yeah. And they're not there. They're not satisfied ever. Yeah. And so I'm like, do how both, do you combine though. the two? Yeah, I, the way yeah, that you're I'm doing not it. satisfied. Like, I, dude, I don't feel eight figures. Like, I feel like, dude, because I reinvest everything. Like, yeah. I reinvest 90% yeah. of what I Because of that, like... Ten, it figures to me, it's like, there's so much more I need to do to get to where I want to go and to have the lifestyle that I really want and to be able to do the things that I want, to have the company that I want, have the employees and the team that I want. There's so much more that I need to do to get there. Yeah, you can have both. I think it does stem from some gratitude and really appreciating what you've got along the way. And then the other thing is not caring what people think. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't care what people think. Most people care what people think. Yeah. I truly don't give up what anybody thinks. <laughs> I care about my reputation and I care about what my investors think and the returns they get in their investments, but I don't care about all the noise. And, yeah. and you got to block that out because the noise gets to people so much, especially with social media. The noise gets mm -hmm. to people. If you can block that out, dude, and you can keep your mindset even, you're Superman. We're Superman. Nobody talks about this stuff, man. Nobody talks about this stuff. Everyone's just, oh, yeah, just go invest in uh, multifamily. 
And then they ride off into the sunset and act like all the rest of this just falls into place. But this is the real stuff, man. This is why I wanted to begin this interview like this. But heck yeah, bro. Let's uh, let's go back to 21-year-old Dave. You are taking down a 102-unit apartment. Is that the one you house hacked? Yeah, it was uh, 96 units. 96 units. All right. So a 21-year-old kid takes down a 96 unit for his house hack. So what the hell? Walk me through this. (laughs) Yeah, I bought two smaller deals, like two 12 units before this. So I raised a couple hundred grand, bought these smaller deals. And then I come across this larger deal. I sent a mailer to a guy who I didn't know at the time, but happened to be a billionaire, a very wealthy man. And this was his oldest and smallest property. It was like a 1970s, 96 unit he built 40 years ago. And he owned it free and clear. And long story short, he pretty much threw me a bone. And we built some good rapport and I got a great deal. He probably could have sold it for a couple hundred thousand more than what he sold it to me for. I sat down with him after I bought it and I asked him, like, why'd you sell it to me? You could have got more money. He's like, dude, I didn't really need the extra couple hundred thousand dollars. I just, I liked you. I enjoyed working with you. It was just Mm. fun. And I'm like, wow, like that's inspiring. That's next level. To be able to do something like that's crazy. Anyways, this deal for me really put me on the map. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was raise the money to buy this deal. I had to extend our contract like three extra months just to get it done. But I had to raise $1.7 million, got a Freddie Mac loan, bought it, ended up selling it within two years, 1.7x our investors' money in under two years, which was phenomenal. And I lived in it and I self-managed the property. I'd hire and fire on-site managers. At some point, I stepped in for three or four months and managed it myself, was leasing units, was overseeing the maintenance guy oversaw all the construction. So it was the greatest learning experience I could have ever been given because uh, I le- I learned what it takes to be in pretty much, besides the maintenance role, pretty much every position that there is in an apartment building. And so it gave me perspective on all that. So now when I go to hire somebody or run an apartment complex or buy a new one, like I know what it takes to turn around a deal. And so it was interesting. It's funny. I didn't tell tenants I was the owner. I would tell them I was the manager. But I there were a couple of nights and I had tenants knocking on my door about things or whatever or dropping off rent checks. It was interesting, but it was definitely unforgettable. One of the best experiences I've had so far. It's funny because Alex Ramosi talks about this rocky cut scene that is unavoidable that you need to go through as an entrepreneur. To where it's like, that was me in five years of B2B enterprise sales, making thousands of cold calls, being in thousands of sales calls, being in thousands of appointments, just rep over and over again. It's unavoidable. Like you need that for greatness. And I feel like that was your Rocky cut scene where you're like just smacking the freaking T-bone in the basement, man. hundred <laughs> like- percent, dude. It was tough. It was not easy. Sleepless and some of the hardest grinding I'd ever had to do to get that deal done. And it was stressful, but that's the breaking point, right? Again, that was one of those things. If I could do it on this with practically no experience, no history, barely raised any money ever, I can keep going bigger. I could do it. Again. So how did you structure the equity in that? So two questions I have there is how did you get the, did you use anybody else's balance sheet for the loan itself? And then also how did you, how did you divide up the equity for the partners? Was this, how did you split up the deal? How'd you structure it? Yeah, I gave investors an eight pref and then 70% okay. of the upside. So me and the the balance sheet loan sponsor split the other. We raised 1.7 million, bought it for four, three. I put 500 into it. So let's say we were all in at four, nine with other costs, just under 5 million. 
And then I sold it for just about $7 million about a year and a half later. So 70% of that, 1.4, went to the investors. The other six hundred grand, me and my partner split up the deal. Okay. And then for the balance sheet partner, was this somebody that was walking you through the process of how to do this? Did you just go online and read some articles? Like for you as a 21-year-old, to be able to take down this from a technical prowess perspective, how were you able to acquire like the knowledge to do this? Or did you just send the mailer out, say, oh, somebody replied and then figured it out? No, there was a lot of learning by failing. For, but I, the guy that signed on a loan owned a couple thousand units and was a mentor to me along the way. But most of it was me just wanting to try and figure it out and run it. Like, how do I, how do I be as involved as I can in this entire process? And then if I need help, I'm going to ask for help. And I was in some masterminds at the time. I had some other friends in the industry. So there's obviously always mentorship and exchange of ideas. But the rest of it, man, was just figured out by trying it, messing it up, doing it again with renovations. Don't go with the first quote you get. Go get three or four quotes. <laughs> Don't keep your on-site staff if they've been there for 10 years with the original owner. Right, yeah. because they're used to renting the units for seven and eight hundred dollars, not the twelve hundred dollars that I'm trying to get. They don't believe in the vision. They won't understand it. You've got to bring in new staff, stuff like that. The things that my maintenance guy that I originally had on site was like a drunk, and he was always lying about stuff. And I'm young, and I really had employees before, so it took me months to really realize it and get rid of them. That was the first person I ever had to fire. I was like so nervous going into that conversation because obviously he's like. To like two and a half times my age at the time. Um, yeah. So that was interesting learning experience. But it was great. I got some amazing things from it. The next maintenance guy I hired after him, actually six years later, still works for me today. Moved across the country from Michigan, where that deal was, down to a, a property I bought in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I sold that property last year and he just moved down to Austin. Still works for me full time. I just bought him a brand new truck last year to thank him for everything that he's done. I, I've gotten some great long-term things from that, which has been cool. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So you started your career. So you, when you were in college and everything, you were studying to be like a financial analyst, right? Yeah, I studied finance. Yep. I did some investment banking, internships, some consulting. So that's a pretty like cut and dry industry. What was the catalyst that convinced you that real estate was the answer at such a young age and for you to start pursuing mentorships and pursuing these masterminds at that age? And then just decide, hey, I'm going to raise money for my first couple of deals because I did the house hack, but I did it a pretty normal way where I was just like, okay, buy a two unit, live in one part, sure. buy a two unit, live in one part. So what was the difference, do you think? I knew some people that were fairly wealthy that were in real estate. However, I didn't really know what that meant. What I mean about real estate. When I was doing one of these banking internships, I had another intern recommend that I start listening to podcasts in general at the time, right? This is 2016. Mm -hmm. And they're like, have you heard of podcasts? I'm like, no, it's a podcast. And so I went on the podcast app and I went right to the business section and I found bigger pockets. Yeah. And I yeah. just started listening to that like crazy. It's like knowledge absorption, like just learn as much as you can. And at first I thought single family was the route. So I got my residential license with the intent of wholesaling and flipping. I worked with a guy for a little bit, did a couple wholesale deals. And then, but I really wanted to do like bigger deals. I'd read the art of the deal by Donald Trump, which is just talks about doing these massive developments and big deals. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I pretty much flipped right from that into multifamily a couple months later. 
and didn't look back. I'm like, I'm never buying another single family investment property. I'm going full-time commercial real estate, multifamily, and that's all I'm going to focus on. So it's basically podcasts. I feel like if I could break down like every single person I talk to, if I could break down like two key attributes that are like the roadmap to success or at least accelerated success like you've had, it would be exposure, whether to like a mentor, somebody like a rich dad, poor dad situation where you had somebody say, hey, like I do this and it's always been this easy. You know, what if it was always just that easy? Or getting exposed to podcasts or books at an early age. So that's one thing that I've seen is like exposure. And then another thing would be, I feel like like the nature versus nurture side, you have a really strong action muscle built where when you get an idea, there's not much friction between that process and you acting on it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's no analysis paralysis. I'm an analytical guy, but there's no like, hey, I don't know if I could pull the trigger. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's it was Rich Dad Poor Dad for me. That is funny they mentioned that. Rich Dad Poor Dad was what solidified my full time jump into real estate and turning down some job offers that I had. It was the book that that was like, there is no question at this point that I'm full time doing real estate because of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Dude, I love that. And that's and that's why guys like us become friends so quickly because it's just like how we're cut. Yeah, we're cut, It's dude. like, yeah, it's like, okay, cool. This sounds like a cool idea. Let's do it. Let's figure it out along the way, man. 100%. Exactly. Uh, what's some advice you can give to people that are listening to this at any stage, either looking at their first property or maybe looking at their hundredth property? What's some advice that you can give for people that are going through analysis paralysis about how to get out of it? If you don't know the number, my, my number one advice in real estate, two pieces. One is you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Yeah. And what that means is you need to buy a property at a discounted price to what the market would pay for it to make money in real estate. You can't pay market value. So you make money when you buy. That's number one. Buy right is always the key. But number two is know the numbers. And for anyone that's like hesitant to jump in or doesn't understand or isn't, isn't comfortable going in and going from a single family to a 10, 12, 20, 40, 60, 100 unit, whatever it is, uh, it's because they don't know the numbers. And if you don't understand the numbers, you're not going to be confident in the deal itself. If you understand the numbers and the financials behind it, because this is a financial business, everything in real estate is numbers. What do I buy it for? What's it going to cash flow? What type of debt can I put on it? What's my renovations going to be? What's it going to be worth when I'm done with it? And all of that is a financial equation, which is why I built my software company. It's all financial modeling and making that process easier. For me. And so if you don't know the numbers, you're not going to be confident in the deal. So learn the numbers. You don't need to be an Excel junkie working 10 hours a day in a spreadsheet, but you do need to know enough to be dangerous and to be able to interpret the numbers if you're not the one actually running the models and model not the deal. If you know the numbers, it makes everything easier. I feel like it's worthwhile to learn how to at least on the back of a napkin pencil something out to double check the numbers and make sure it pencils out and then at least have that expert on your team if it's not to be able to make sure that the numbers are good because that's what yields the confidence, right? Correct. But even him as the decision maker, I guarantee you, even if he hates doing it, he's deadly. If you can give him a model, he could read through it. He could point out what's right, what's wrong. Any experienced real estate investor who's been in this for a long time really needs to be able to understand a pro forma and how the numbers work. Even if you're not the guy running them, the decision maker needs to be very knowledgeable about the financials of the business because that's where people get messed up is you get a decision maker that relies on an analyst. And I've seen this happen time and time again. They hire a bad analyst 
who is incentivized by closing the deal. They fudge mm-hmm. the numbers and you buy the deal isn't cash flow. You made your fee great, but now it's losing money. You've got to put extra funds into it or the loan gets called or whatever. And it's because they didn't understand the financials and the fundamentals on the front end. I've never once bought a deal that hasn't performed up to expectations. And it's because every decision I make is rooted in financials. And mm-hmm. that is, that's fundamental to this business. I love that, man. So for people listening to this right now that are maybe intimidated to buy your first deal, you're intimidated to go out there and swing for the fences. You're doing a house hack. You're doing a quad. You're doing an eight unit. You can't figure out or fathom how people are doing a 52 or a hundred. You can take away all this fear and all this pain and uncertainty, and you can literally just break it down into one singular action. And that is go and analyze and underwrite so many damn deals that your success is undeniable. 100%. That's it. And nobody likes it. It's not, nobody I, mean, likes I like it. it a little bit because I'm like a numbers guy, but I still don't love it. There's other things I'd rather be doing than running numbers, but you've got to know how to do it. Thank you for reiterating. And the, dude, that brings up another quote, which is don't do your best, do what's required. Yeah. And that's what's required. So everyone's over here trying to shout affirmations in their mirror to be to pump themselves up to get confident in life. <laughs> when really all you have to do is just underwrite. If you go underwrite 100 deals, 100 multifamily deals in the next month. Like you will be so confident in the numbers that you will be swinging for the fences. Correct. And that's all it takes is go out and spend a month or two and underwrite a bunch of deals and get really good at it. It just takes practice. Even the guys that love capital raising and just want to raise capital still need to know the numbers. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a fund of funds model and you're raising money and putting your money into another sponsor's deal who's actually managing and running the deal... You need to look through those numbers and make sure that you're putting money into a deal that's solid, right? No matter Mm -hmm. how much you trust the sponsor, go look at those numbers, understand what's going on. And uh, and that's what's going to protect you long term, right? It's so easy to go and put together a deal and bring some money in and earn a fee on the front end. Okay, whatever. Anyone, honestly, anyone can do that. But most people can go and do that. What's really the show of success in this business is can you do that 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 times over and over again and consistently perform? And those are the people that are going to be here in 10 years from now, 20 years from now. (laughs) Yeah, when the tide rolls out. Correct, oh, which it's doing right now. What's it's doing right now, yeah. You're, because about, to, now you're it's... about to see, by the end of this year, you are about to see who is still in this business and who is out of this business. Is by the end of this year, you will see it. Because right now is the toughest times we've had in 10 years in real estate. And I don't think it's going to get better over the next year. There's so many buyers in the market the last couple of years because everyone and their mom is doing multifamily real estate, real estate in general. So it's been easy to just throw something up and get a crazy low cap rate for it. But what's going to be difficult is a bank financing. You just heard there's two, two, two top, what top 20 banks in the country. Uh, SVB have now gone under. And another one was it today or a couple days ago. So it's going to be harder to find funding. Banks are going to tighten up. They're going to be lending on less risky deals. And then investors, right? When the economy's down, people are less liquid. They have less money to invest. They're a little more hesitant. So Going out and buying, finding good deals will become easier, but it's all relative, right? Because if there's less people to buy and it's harder to buy the deals itself, the cap rates are going to go up and the demand's going to go down, right? So prices will go down. So it's all this big, funky equation and times have just been so good over the last five, six, seven, eight years. If we all had a crystal ball, it'd be great, but we don't. So I'm still in buy mode this year. I'm going crazy. 
I'm going to buy distressed deals, people that are losing their ass on deals. I'm going to be there ready to them. But again, it's going to be harder to fund them. And then you've got to be willing to hold for probably a couple extra years till things mm-hmm. settle down. And, and you need to underwrite for that too. What's that? And you need to, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, your yeah. assumptions need to match that. You need to be cautious on your interest rates, your exit cap, your rent growth. Rents are starting to go down too. People are like, mm-hmm. ah, rents aren't going down in Austin. Rents are going down. I follow it pretty closely. Like rents are going down across the board in the suburbs and in the city. So your yeah. projections can't be too aggressive. If you could give advice to an individual investor, to a business about maybe three skill sets that they should spend all of their time, energy, and effort honing and focusing on and building during this next 12-month period to be able to take the best swing at the plate whenever an opportunity presents itself with this, how this economy is going, what three skill sets would you recommend somebody focusing on? Underwriting deals and so knowing the numbers, finding good deals, and probably raising money because that's going to get more difficult. There will mm-hmm. always be banks to fund a deal even if they get less aggressive on how much they're going to lend to you, there's always banks. Even during the last recession, there were still banks that were funding deals. There was, albeit a lot less banks. But if you can at least raise the capital from investors, you'll find a bank, maybe lower leverage, but you'll still find a bank to finance it. Love it. Guys, what if it was always that simple? What if it was always that simple <laughs> and you were just overcomplicating it because you were terrified? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you have to get go really good. Work. Got to put it in the work. Man, you're talking about everyone and their mother being invested in multifamily. Let's talk about a couple of these diversified investments that you've went into, a commercial and then self-storage. Really enjoying the self-storage, correct? Yeah, so far, I had a bad experience with a management company on our fund, but uh, we took it in-house and it's actually doing really well now. I, I like storage. You don't have to deal with the tenants. Expense ratios are a lot lower. It's a lot less BS to deal with. The eviction process is a lot easier. So I think there's a lot of pros to it. Cons would be, I just don't think, I think apartments have just a higher resilience to the market shifts and demand overall. But again, it depends where you are. Self-storage has really performed pretty similarly over the last 20, 30 years to multifamily if you look at the data. So it is a good asset class in that regard. And the commercial stuff, I'm not a huge fan of commercial. I have I have one commercial building and one mixed use property, and it's in they're in the same town up in Michigan. It's called Ferndale. It's like a small like little downtown area. It's walkable. A lot of like bars, shops, and so I've got like a gym as a tenant. I've got an art gallery. I've got a salon. I've got like a little shoe store. And they're just good little buildings. They pay every month and they're triple net. So they're really easy to deal with and they're nice quality built properties. I don't mind the commercial, but I personally won't be investing in like office space unless I mm-hmm. can convert it. I'm really just 90% of my stuff I do is multifamily. Going back a little bit, you said how what percentage of your time right now is spent each week on real estate labs? The software real estate lab, I'm probably 50-50. Yeah, yeah I'm probably half okay. software, half real estate. Okay. Now that's the reason I asked that is that's telling. And that's important because like I can see where you're going with the whole software and having this other business because the cash flow is so much faster because yeah. of how it is in comparison to real estate. That's what I'm running into with my company, the Action Academy on the back end of this. But I'm curious about the differences and the pros that you've seen of running like this software and like kind of media on the back of your real estate. I'm curious about your experience with that. What's nice is they just, they're both in the same line of business. Our, our uh-huh. software or real estate lab is a commercial underwriting. 
mainly for multifamily right now, but you really could use it for any asset class. And so it's not like I have to divert my thought process or energy too much. I use it every day in my business. I built it for our own use. And now we've built it for other people to be able to use it. So I love the product so much that I'm using it every day. I'm coming up with ideas on how to improve it. We're taking feedback from our users on how to improve it. And I really don't have to divert too much attention. Like the fact that I use it in our business is just really cool because I'm constantly in it. So we've built up a little software development team and I've got a you know, marketing team, sales team now, which is great. I love it. Software will has the potential, I'm going to say it's not, definitely not guaranteed a higher risk than real estate, but software has the potential to earn you a lot more money a lot quicker, right? You could build mm-hmm. up a software company doing 10, 10 million in ARR and sell it for 40, 50 million within a three to five year window, right? And if you bootstrap yeah. it in the majority of that or own all of it, you're gonna make a lot more than you would in five years of doing real estate. I think software, yeah, definitely has earning potential way higher than real estate in a short period of time. But for me, I just, I wanna add to the industry because I love real estate so much. And this product is my way of taking my brain and how I've created our systems around underwriting, putting it into a software, allowing other people to use it. And we've gotten just, we're growing really quick. We've got a ton of great feedback from other multifamily investors on what we've done. So it's pretty cool. We're just getting started. What's your ARR right now on that? We did close to a million last year. Sweet. Let's go. My man. Guys, go so listen. Some of that, go some listen of that's our educational to, community too. We've got a we've got a multifamily sure. education community built in with that. Guys, go listen back to the episode I made about the fastest way to make a hundred thousand dollars on top of your W two position because this is what we talk about, David. In the episode, what we talk about is I say find like whatever you're doing, if it's your day job or what you're doing with your company, find a problem that is adjacent to that industry, to where it's already within your zone of genius, but you can solve that problem. And then you start with the problem and you build the solution. And then it's the fastest cash flow that you'll ever find in life. 100%, dude. I love that. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. So I'm curious about what problems were you finding with the underwriting process? And then how did you provide the solution with Real Estate Lab? So you can give a little plug here. Yeah, one is like deal management. So some some people may look at one or two deals a month. Some companies look at 20 deals a week. How do you manage all that? So ours is, I would say, I don't want to call it a CRM because it's not contacts, but it's like a CRM for deals, like pipeline management. So you manage all your sure. deals. The underwriting process, is, at least for multifamily, we look at financial statements, rent rolls, profit and loss statements, T12. Our software, you can actually upload those documents. Our software reads it pulls that data, puts it right into the financial model. And then we actually will make some automated assumptions for you in our model or your model as well, based on data that we have. So we collect data, we buy data, we accumulate data, and then we turn around and we repurpose that. Our goal is when you're underwriting a deal, when you create that analyzer in our system, we want to autofill as much of it as we can so that you can go in there, save some time, tweak it, review it, and then make your decision faster. So I think speed was the other thing. Accuracy and being able to trust the model. My model I've been building for seven years. The reason I built the software is because I sold that Excel spreadsheet originally one by one. I had it up on my website for 250 bucks. (laughs) 
And I sold like $150,000 worth of a spreadsheet within two years. Just word of mouth. I didn't know advertising. So to me, that's like, all right, there's a market for that. And then there's another company out there that does this that's been around for six, seven years. There's two of them that do like commercial underwriting. And those are both like $100 million companies. To me, that's like, there's already a market for it. (laughs) Yeah. And my goal is to put them out of business because we've got a better product. dude. Okay. And then where can people find that? Realestatelab.com realestatelab.com. Sweet. Yeah. So what's next, man? What's next for you? Dude, I just want to keep building our team. I want to capitalize. I want to be one of the guys that said, I capitalized on a downturn and was able to 10x coming out of it. I'm bullish this year on continuing to buy deals. So I'm growing my real estate business. I'd love to buy another 10 quality assets within the next two years at a deep discounted price. Uh, and then by the end of this year, I'd like to have Somewhere in the range of three to 500 software users. Perfect. We get it 300, I'll be happy. Fast forward out to David Tupin at 30 years old. What, how is that guy different? Or how do you aspire that guy to be different than who you are today? That guy's retired, man. Just chilling (laughs) on on an island. No, I'm kidding. I want to have a bigger organization at that point. And it's not just just the number of people because I don't think that really matters. But I want to have a really solid team, a self-managing business, one that that grows not just because of the direct work I'm putting in, but because of the work that my team is putting in. And I want to create a bunch of millionaires because I have the ability to do that. I'd love to, I'd love to just help bring other people up. I've just, I'm so grateful for the team I have now and I want to help make all of them financially free. And in turn, they're making me financially free. I just want to keep growing a cool organization and live in a fun lifestyle. I love, I don't just work. I love getting out in the lake. I love traveling, working out. We, hot like, girl walks. Day. <laughs> yeah, hot girl walks around the lake. I just want to keep having fun with it and enjoying life. And like I said, I love what I do. So it's not really work. Dude, I love that. And it all goes back to the old Zig Ziglar quote where it's the fastest way to get anything you want in life is to help as many other people get what they want at scale. <laughs> Correct. And so. I'm just learning that. I'm very new having an organization with employees just in the past couple of years. I'm learning, man, every day. I'm learning more and just trying to get better and better at this stuff. Dude, that's awesome, brother. Appreciate it coming on. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, hit me up on Instagram, uh, Real Estate Jedi. Where'd that name come from? When I, I used to, I was always like an underwriter numbers guy. And one of my buddies called me Yoda. He's like, you're like Yoda with the spreadsheets. And so I was like, nerd. Yeah, nerd. exactly. But oh I've also God. always loved Star Wars. <laughs> I'm still a Star Wars fan. So. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, Heck yeah. Sure. Real, at Real Estate Jedi. Guys, go follow him. He's got awesome content. And check out Real Estate Lab. Appreciate you coming on. Let's go, homie. Thank you. I appreciate you a lot and love your podcast and what you do. Keep inspiring people. Let's go. And with that, this has been Brian and David with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. I am. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.